John 14. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I do not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who, does not, who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. And I am telling you these things while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. This morning and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the mysterious third person of the Trinity. Now, in the church I grew up in, uh, people were really keen on following the Bible. And they were quite familiar with God, the Father, obviously. And uh, we talked a lot about Jesus as well, because, well, we just came off of Christmas time, right? And that's the whole thing we celebrate about Christmas, is that God becoming one of us, and God sending his son, Jesus, to show us the way to the Father. But the church I grew up in, there wasn't a whole lot of clarity, and actually there was a whole lot of fear about the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> when we talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were a little bit, didn't quite work. I guess I could sort of tilt the camera up like this, but it's not quite the full, we weren't, it wasn't working for us. And now, these are good people, and God loved them, and they loved God, but there just wasn't a full understanding about who Holy Spirit is and, and what he does. And um, to be honest, I think sometimes we thought more of Holy Spirit as a, a thing or a what. The sermon title this morning, if you saw the sign, is um, Father, Son, and Holy What? And uh, unfortunately, that's due to some confusion. Um, our, <clears throat> the folks who translated the uh, King James Version back in around 1611 uh, translated Holy Spirit often came through as Holy Ghost, which isn't a helpful word to us um, these days. We think of someone in a white sheet that it, it's just not a helpful uh, translation, so Holy Spirit. And as we'll see, we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes as we look at 
the identity of, of Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of confusion, and especially in, among some good-hearted evangelicals, there is a ton of fear around this concept of Holy Spirit. People get a little bit freaked out. So for the next few weeks, we want to talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why this is so important? I find so many Christians who are kind of discouraged and disheartened, and they're trying to follow Jesus on their own. It's really tough and really discouraging. And we're going to, sh I want to show you, uh, uh, it's a kid's story. I don't apologize for this because I find, um, as someone who's concerned about adult education, we all relate to children's stories, and we tend to remember those the most. And um, Sean, if we could cue up that video, I'm going to show you a story this morning that relates to what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning. So go ahead, Sean. The Big it. Red Tractor and the Little Village. Once upon a time in a little field in a happy little village lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all of the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then that the people shouted, He was right, the tractor book is true. 
The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world. It's tough following Jesus, isn't it? It's tough. And so many of us, with our good intentions, and this being a new year, we've made resolutions, some of us, or some of us are just resolved not to make resolutions. Uh, We want to follow Jesus more in 2015, and we gird up our loins, like it says in the Bible, or we roll up our sleeves, and we're going to try harder, and this is the year that I will... uh, not get mad at my kids, spouse, parents, or I won't fly off the handle, I'll lose those X number of pounds, I will mm, do all these things. <clears throat> Resolutions aside, it's really tough to follow Jesus. It's really challenging. And so many of us try to do it on our own strength, like the people in this story. Now we chuckle and we laugh at saying, how dumb to push a tractor 10 or 20 feet a day and expect to plow a field, right? But many of us are trying to live the Christian life without God in us and with us. And we're not making ourselves fully available to Him and taking advantage of all that's available to us out of fear or misunderstanding or for whatever reason. Now, my intent uh, this morning is not to make people feel bad or judged or guilty. That's, that's not helpful at all. But it's just to provide some sane, helpful, encouraging teaching, biblical teaching, on who Holy Spirit is. First of all, he's not an it and not a, not a thing. He's not the force, as popularized in, in Star Wars. Let's go back right to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Holy Spirit was right there at creation because Holy Spirit was there before anything was made. And... It's challenging for us to get our, our head around this. Most of us can relate to God the Father, and as I was saying, uh, Jesus. But Holy Spirit was actively involved in creation. And out of the chaos that existed before the world was created, the Holy Spirit brings the cosmos. And out of disorder, He brings order. Out of confusion, He brings coherence. And out of ugliness, he brings beauty. Out of old things, he brings new. Holy Spirit's always creating something new and something good and something beautiful. That's how the Spirit of God works in our lives. He wants to bring order and harmony and beauty and newness. He's a creator spirit. 
The pinnacle of creation, I think, is the creation of human beings. That's God's crowning work, is us. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, <clears throat> excuse me, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a human being, a living being. Now, it's interesting that the word in the Old Testament for spirit and breath are very closely related. It's pronounced something close to this. I'll try to, I have to clear my throat before I say it. <clears throat> it's ruach. You got to get that last in there, okay? Try not to spit on your neighbor when you say that. Ruach. It's the breath of God, the spirit of God, something that brings life. My two oldest children are lifeguards, and they had to learn CPR as part of their qualifications. And when someone is on the pool deck and not breathing, what do you do? You breathe life into them. You work on them, and you breathe life into them, right? So we understand very much that life and breath are closely related. When someone dies, they say they have breathed their last breath, right? So the whole idea of spirit giving life um, is very much a... a a theme all through the Bible. The Spirit comes to bring life. And this Ruach of God is always there for us, um, not just bringing physical life, but bringing spiritual life to us. In fact, later on in the New Testament, Jesus breathes on His disciples and, and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And when someone decides to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes life within them, spiritual life. So it's fascinating to see as we carry on through the Old Testament to see how the Holy Spirit came on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. In Exodus 31, um, Holy Spirit comes on and a man named Bezalel for artistry because they're designing a place of worship. And this artisan, this artist, the Holy Spirit comes on him and inspires him to build uh, just an appropriate place for God to be worshipped. And then the Holy Spirit comes on a, a person like Gideon. If you know that story, there's Gideon, cowardly Gideon, hiding in a hole from the enemy. And the uh, Holy Spirit comes on him, transforms him, turns him into a fearless leader who rescues God's people from a really perilous situation. And later on, if you're familiar with the strong man Samson, at the end of his life, Samson has not lived a life really worthy of God. But just at the end of his life, Holy Spirit comes on him and he um, accomplishes this tremendous feat of strength and kills a lot of Israel's enemies. Even though the story doesn't end well for Samson, Holy Spirit came on him at a particular time for a particular task. So Holy Spirit has been, he pre-exists us, obviously, because he's God. And all through the Old Testament, it seemed like, and I guess this is where my church, my home church, got this kind of theology that wasn't quite, uh, what's the word, fully developed. That's the nice way of saying it. It's not fully developed. Because they looked at Holy Spirit, what he was doing in the Old Testament, saying, well, you know, he was kind of in the background and not quite sure what he was doing, what was going on. 
But as we go on through the Old Testament, we know we see that there's kind of a promise. There's some anticipation. Because God has given people the Ten Commandments. He's given them guidelines and rules, commandments to follow so that their lives will be enriched and so that they can have a, a healthy relationship with Him and with other people. But there's a problem in keeping commandments, right? We don't want to do them. We know what we should do, but we just can't seem to get around to doing it. We have lots of good intentions, but our sin nature keeps tripping us up, and we can't do it on our own. So here's God's solution, and here's God's promise that uh, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel says to us. I, this is God speaking to his people. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He realized that these people were hard-hearted. They were tough. They, they, they knew what was right, but they still didn't do it. In fact, all through the Old Testament, do you know what the problem was with these folks? They were substituting obedience. They were substituting ritual for obedience. And God calls them on this. They said, okay, God, you give us the rules, and we'll show up regularly. We'll show up every week. We'll show up in Elam Chapel at 1031, you know, when everybody else is getting there. And we'll show up. We'll clean up fairly well, and we'll pretend that everything is fine. And we'll even sing the songs, kind of, and stand up and sit down when everybody else tells us, and we'll kind of fit in. And we'll do this week after week after week after week. And we expect you, God, if we do this, that you'll come through for us. And in the meantime, our hearts through disobedience will grow calloused and hard. And the words and the music and the stuff that we share will just bounce off, keep bouncing off, until our hearts get so hard they just become like stone. Well, that wouldn't happen to any of us, but probably some other church, you know. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh with you. I'm just saying, here's the problem, right? Human beings, we tend to substitute ritual for obedience. Why? Because obedience is hard, and obedience implies there's a relationship there. And why do we obey God? Why do we obey God? Because he's out to get us? Because he's out to punish us? No. We know that he loves us and we love him back. Why we do things is just as important as what we do. We get deceived. We are mistaken when we think it's all about appearances and outward performance. And that is the temptation that human beings have always faced in our relationship with God. We think it's all about the outside stuff where God knows our hearts, right? That's why God says, you know what? <clears throat> it's not that the Ten Commandments weren't a good idea or the law wasn't a good idea. It's just that it's not going to transform anybody. Anyone with a heart tender towards God would follow those commandments willingly and say, God, you're right. It, it's not good to, to have other gods. It's not good. I don't want to worship anybody else but you. It's not good to lie. It's not good to covet. It's not good to to lust, and it's not good to, to murder people either with my words or with my actions. I want to live in a life that pleases you. 
But our hearts, our human nature tends to be so difficult to root out. We can't just overcome it with good intentions. So God promises a heart transplant. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now think about this for a minute. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. He would literally come on that person, whether they were really following God or not. I mean, there were some really sketchy uh, people, unqualified people, that the Holy Spirit came on in the Old Testament to accomplish a particular task. And they're not going to make any hall of fame anywhere. But God was just doing that to accomplish His purpose. But the difference is, instead of the Holy Spirit coming on someone for a a temporary period of time, God then makes this promise, I will put my Spirit in you. See the difference? It's a really big difference. It's not just He's going to be on you for a particular time, for a particular purpose. All of a sudden, He's going to be in you. Wow, that's tremendous. What a difference. One little vowel makes the difference between on and in. It's tremendous. And later on, as this promise develops more and more, Isaiah prophesies the Spirit. This is what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be on and in someone, okay? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He's here. Anointed has got this sense of, okay, I've, 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 they would anoint kings and priests and, uh, for a special purpose and consecrate them, basically, and dedicate them to God, saying, okay, God's stamp of ownership is on you. And there's a sense of not just telling someone what to do, but giving the, them the resources and the authority to do what they're supposed to do. It would be really foolish... Uh, for us to elect a mayor of Winnipeg and say, okay, Brian, we're not going to give you any money to run the city, but we want you to make all the decisions. Oh, and by the way, there's no bylaws or anything like that, so good luck with that. You're in charge. Well, that's not going to work. It barely works when he's got all the money and all the bylaws, and God bless him. We just keep praying for the mayor. But you understand the difference? When God anoints someone, he gives them all the resources and all the authority to do what he is calling them to do. So this, this anticipation in the Old Testament, but what it looks like for someone to have the Holy Spirit in them, this is what it looks like. When the Lord anoints us, what do we do? We preach the good news to the poor. Now some people would quibble, what does he mean, spiritually poor or materially poor? And I say, both, Right? Let's not quibble over that. Preach the good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Now, is he talking about real prisoners or spiritual prisoners? And the answer is yes. Yes. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To release from darkness for the prisoners. That's fantastic. What a beautiful picture of God restoring His shalom, His peace on the world, on the planet Earth. 
How? Through his spirit. The creative Holy Spirit created the world in the first place, right? Breathed life into people. And he's still breathing people into, breathing life into spiritual corpses today. Tomorrow, if you walk down Portage Avenue, you will see the living dead. Not literal as zombies, but people who are spiritually dead, but walking around, walking around doing their, their thing, their day-to-day thing. But it's kind of a sad picture because many of those folks are spiritually dead. But when they invite Holy Spirit into their lives, He breathes life into them. And they are recreated in God's image the way we were intended to be in the first place. So when Holy Spirit comes on someone, what happens? They preach the good news to the poor. They bind up the brokenhearted. Captives and prisoners are released. That's what happens when Holy Spirit comes. And not just on individuals. When Holy Spirit comes on groups of Christians, wow, things really happen. Just like in the book of Acts. It's pretty exciting to see what happens. Sean, maybe you can help me with that next slide. I think I'm not working here. I'm sorry? I'm trying to... Ah, there you go. Thank you. Do you remember the day of Pentecost? All these devout Jews had gathered from all over the known world. um, And it was just a few weeks after Jesus had risen from the dead. And the Christians were praying, 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 praying. Because Jesus said... You guys wait here, and in a little while, Holy Spirit's going to come. And He's going to come, and He's going to give you the power to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and the local areas and even the sketchy areas like Samaria that you don't want to go into and even the far uttermost parts of the Roman Empire and the world. He's going to give you the power to be my witnesses, right? So they pray and pray and pray. And 40 40 days later... Holy Spirit shows up in the room where they're praying. Dramatic things happen. Tongues of fire. People speaking in other languages. And all the locals think, I know it's 9 o'clock in the morning, but these people must be plastered. They must be wasted, totally drunk. They're, They're not making any sense. What is going on? And they hear these people praising God in all these different languages. Peter stands up and explains, these people aren't drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the sign that Jesus is God and he's come to be with us. You can read about the rest of the story in Acts chapter 2. And then Peter goes on to quote this prophecy from Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you notice this? What do we draw from this verse? It's a promise. Holy Spirit's for everyone. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus. You can have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want. Okay? There's, it's not limited. Sons and daughters. I mean, it's not, the Holy Spirit isn't gender specific. There's no favoritism. Okay? doesn't matter what gender it is. Or age. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Same thing. Um, there's no restrictions in that sense. I was thinking about this verse. Uh, for years I was told as a kid, oh, you're not old enough for that. And now that I'm kind of eh, on the slippery slope, 
towards the end. Now I'm discovering I'm too old for stuff. But apparently, I'm neither too young or too old for the Holy Spirit to come and fill me, which is really awesome. Even on my servants, it doesn't matter what your social status is, what level you are or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about your ethnicity or background or whatever. Holy Spirit is available, and God wants to pour out His Spirit on us. That's good. So there's no restrictions in that way. Struggling a little bit here, Sean, with this next slide. Wow, I'm really in suspense. I wonder what is on that next slide. Okay, it may be in my notes. Um, so this scripture has been fulfilled in our midst. This, this scripture, uh, Joel's, Joel 2 talks about and Isaiah 61, Holy Spirit is with us to change us, to give us a new heart, and even to make us willing to obey God, to change our hearts. That's why we sing that song, Change My Heart, O God. It's because we know our hearts need to be changed. And he gives us not just the power, but the willingness to follow him. He, God has promised to put a heart of flesh in us and not a heart of stone. To free us up from just this habitual thinking that it's all about ritual instead of obedience. John the Baptist came. Why was he called the Baptist? Because he, he was like to baptize people. He was John the Dunker, okay? John the Baptizer, all right? And he would come along baptizing people. And at that time, people understood that baptism was, all, it was kind of like taking a spiritual bath. It was a sign of repentance, okay? It was a sign of repentance. But people were trying to say, John, what, what are you doing? What's, what's going on with this? And we know that John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. John answered their question saying, what are you doing? Saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, what's he talking about? To John and the, 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 his audience, they understood that baptizing would mean sort of immersing where someone would be overwhelmed with the water. In in uh, the common Greek uh, usage at the time, uh, when a ship sank, it got baptizoed. It was overwhelmed with water. Okay, And that's why at Elam, we have this thing over here, this, this tank. And we, and we practice that. Other churches do it in, with other methodology. That's okay. They love Jesus. That's, that's the way they do things. But we believe that the best methodology when we baptize someone is we get them all wet and then we always bring them back up out of the water again, right? But what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What are they talking about? It's not like a little dab will do you with the Holy Spirit. Not a little dab will do you. But we need to be overwhelmed and flooded with Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus promises that's his promise to us. Now, I don't know if that makes you nervous or if that makes you hungry. I'm hoping that it makes you hungry for more of God. Because God has promised to put a heart of flesh within us, not heart of stone, right? To replace our stony hearts, our, starts, our hearts that depend on 
ritual and habit and performance. Would you like to be freed from a performance-based faith? Performance-based religion? That's why Holy Spirit's come. Because God knows that human beings can't just perform. It's not about performance. It's about having a real living relationship with God so we can learn how to live with Him, right? And He lives with us. That's what it's all about. So this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about, saying, if you open yourselves up to me, I will fill you every square inch of your being, every cubic centimeter of your being, so to speak, with my presence. And you'll be anointed and empowered to do what I've called you to do. Wow. That's pretty intoxicating promise, isn't it? And that's why I think the early Christians in the day of Pentecost were accused of being drunk because they were just carrying on, not in a way to be goofy or foolish, but they were just overwhelmed with the presence of God. So this promise that we have of the presence of Jesus with us is a marvelous thing that, that we can depend on and, and, and take to the bank. And if anything, I just want to set the stage this morning for what we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. Because we're talking about, this morning, who is Holy Spirit? He's a third person of the Trinity in all His fullness. Yeah, that looks better. In all His fullness. He wants to fill us. God's desire is that He fills, replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And Holy Spirit is nothing to be afraid of or fearful of. There's a lot of wrong teaching and a lot of unhelpful practices around being baptized and filled and controlled and led by Holy Spirit. Let me tell you that the answer to charismania is not charisphobia, okay? Do you get that? The answer to charismania is not charisphobia. It's just proper teaching. Most of, the, most of the scriptures I've shown you this morning are from the Old Testament where the promise of the Holy Spirit for every person who loves God is just they're just setting the stage. And now, ah, now he's come, right? Now he's come. So my prayer for us this morning uh, is, is that God would just satisfy our thirst for him. Let me close with this verse from John chapter 7. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within. By this he meant the Spirit. Can you remember the last time you were really, really, really thirsty? Just parched. I've been fighting a cold this week, and I've been drinking water like crazy. And it seems like I'm perpetually parched. Maybe you can relate to that in a spiritual sense. You're saying, oh man, I just ah, can't get enough. This, maybe ritual isn't working for you anymore. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. 
And if you want to come into a living relationship with God, and maybe you, you've called yourself a Christian for a long time, great! But you, you realize that maybe your view of the Trinity or under this understanding of the... You've been kind of literally kind of shortchanged in some of the teaching of the Holy Spirit that you've had. Well, great. I'm just trying to set the table and invite you to dinner over the next couple of weeks. So let's pray. Jesus said, if, if you're thirsty, come, and I will satisfy that spiritual thirst that you've got. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flowing from within. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Holy Spirit has come to guide us, to lead us into the truth, to be our advocate, to walk alongside us. Thank you for the promise of the the presence of your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, I pray that you would increase our understanding of who Holy Spirit is. And I pray that you would draw every seeking heart today, everyone who's looking for more of your presence and more of your power in their lives, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray these things confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen.